A couple of things I'll mention uh, before we start here. One is, hi Darius, good to see you. Um, that wasn't one of them. We have uh, today, following the second service, an opportunity to very quickly do some service. We're going to have all the pews and all the chairs downstairs uh, cleaned this week. And what we need to do is we need to have a whole crew, I would say about, uh, I don't know, 140 people, go downstairs and each grab a chair and set it down on the floor of the gym. And then we're going to have a crew come in tomorrow and they're going to clean all that stuff. So if you have just a moment to go down and grab a couple of chairs, put those out in the, in the middle of the gym floor, I'm sure there'll be somebody there kind of directing on how we might organize those chairs. Uh, if you do that right after we're done today, that would be absolutely wonderful. And that would save me from having to do the whole thing tomorrow myself. <laughs> um, today is the first year, one year anniversary of Journey, or Journey Church, of Northern Hills Church. And I'm grateful that uh, Northern Hills is in existence. Uh, they have between 80 and 100 people typically meeting with them on Sunday mornings. Uh, it's wonderful, the work that they're doing there. I, uh, Peter told me this week that they have about four baptisms that they're expecting to have take place in the next week or so. And so we're excited about what's going on with, with uh, Northern Hills. Many of you have contributed to that work. We've prayed about that work. And it's just wonderful to have uh, God blessing them. We have some people that are there this morning kind of representing us uh, as a congregation. And so I just wanted to mention their one-year anniversary and ask you to continue to pray for Northern Hills. This is what I'm calling Audience Participation Sunday. Okay? Uh, You won't hear about it on the news. There's no, it's not a a flyer that's going to come in your mailbox, but today is Audience Participation Sunday, and I don't know how this is going to work with you. You're going to have to help me out here. Um, When Megan was about three, probably grade three or so, I heard the story. I wasn't there, but I I, I was preaching, actually, and we had two services in the church in Long Beach, or in uh, Victoria, and uh, one Sunday morning, Megan goes down at the end of the second service really quick and there was a couple down there that had been cleaning up the Lord's Supper from the first service. So they're down washing the cups and things the way we used to do when we had glass cups. And they're down cleaning the cups and all of a sudden they hear Megan running down the stairs and she runs into the kitchen. And why, why exactly she did this, I don't know. She, you know. This is what grade three people do. She runs into the kitchen and she goes just like this as she ran and she went, oh, it's over. Thank goodness. That was so boring. (laughs) Her father had just been preaching. Like, what does she mean it's so boring? I don't understand this. But she was so excited about the fact that the service was over. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you to maybe show a little bit of excitement. Not about that, by the way. But instead about something else that we're going to talk about in a moment. And you're going to hear about it at the appropriate time. So I'm going to call for some audience participation. And it's going to require some enthusiasm on your parts about something about which we really need to be enthusiastic. Okay? And there are two parts. I'm going to go through the sermon today, ask for some uh, audience participation in the first part, and then we move on to part two. I'm going to ask for some more participation. I want us to uh, turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. It's on page 850 if you're in a pew Bible. Page 850. And I'm going to be reading verses 19 through 25. 
Now, before I read this, let me ask you a question. See how good your memories are. We've talked before about the basic message of Hebrews and what the basic problem is with these people. Like, these are Christians, but something has begun to go awry with their faith. What, what is it that is the kind of the basic difficulty that the writer of Hebrews is trying to address and maybe fix? Do you remember? Giving up? And, and, and specifically giving up in a certain way. Do you remember the specific way in which they're tempted to give up? Back to Judaism, yeah. Like the, the readers of this letter clearly are tempted to go back to the faith that they came out of. So they, they were Jews, and by heritage, many of them, of course, are still Jews. That's why the book is called the Hebrews, to the Hebrews. But they're coming out of that faith into Christianity and now are tempted, apparently, to return back to the faith that they knew before. And the Hebrew writer doesn't want them to do that. And so he spends a good portion of this book saying, don't return to what you knew before. Instead, stay where you are in Christ. And so listen to these verses from verse 19. And you'll see, like, he's been building this case. Stay in Jesus, stay in Jesus, stay in Jesus, stay in Jesus. And he now says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, which clearly is a reference to baptism and, and the fact that they've gone through this act. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are, are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. As we get into this, I, wanna, I want us to... I'm going to get some feedback from you here in just a moment. But before we do that, I want you to notice one thing. I want you to notice how verse 22 begins. Look at verse 22 and just note the way that that verse begins. Now I want you to look at the way that verse 23 begins. Now I want you to notice the way that verse 24 begins. And I want you to notice the way that verse 25 begins. See any similarities there? I can't speak for all the other translations, but in the NIV, in each case, it says, let us, let us, let us, let us. There is an exhortation in each case for the Christians to somehow do something. They're supposed to respond somehow to what it is that God has done. And so he lists all these wonderful things that God has done. And then he says, in light of that, do this. In light of that, have this attitude. In light of that, this is how you should be. And so we have a response to God that he expects us to make. The Hebrew writer was expecting these Christians to have a certain response before him, specifically in light of what it is that Jesus has done. Now, here's the audience anticipation part. Why respond to God? Why respond to God? 
And I want you to come up with answers, but I don't want these to just be any answers. I want these answers to specifically come from verses 19 through 25. Because those four exhortations, let us do this and let us do this and let us do this and let us do this, those exhortations are based in very specific things that God says he did through Jesus. Now, I don't know what you're going to think of this. But at the end of all this, we're going to run through these and we're going to see what kind of response we have to the idea of what it is that God has done for us. You know, I remember one time uh, my family was traveling toward the ferry on Vancouver or in Vancouver, headed for Vancouver Island. And we're headed for the ferry. And the closer we got to the ferry, we realized that we were that there was not going to be this big, long ferry line. Like normally, when you pull up to the ferry terminal, whether you're going from Vancouver to, Vic, to Vancouver Island or you're going from Vancouver Island to Vancouver, either way, there's always this mega line. And it's very discouraging. You get there and you think, we're going to make this ferry, and then you find out you've, you know, you get a two-ferry wait or something that you're going to have to wait for because of this huge line. So I remember the time that we, you know, we were really pressed, and we were, it was late at night, and we're hoping that we're going to make the ferry, and we pull up, to the point where we can see the lines. And I remember the rejoicing in our car when we realized how short that line was. And so the whole car is screaming and yelling and we're high-fiving. We're going to make this ferry. This is exciting. We're not going to have to wait for that another hour and 30 minutes, whatever it is. And it's interesting to think about the things that we either get excited about or don't get excited about. We get really excited when the flames score a goal but then we can talk about Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins and giving us life forever and it doesn't barely phase us. Or at least not in that way. And I, I know there are different kinds of expression of joy. This morning, I'm looking for something more than just the smiles on our faces. You'll see what I mean in just a moment, okay? Now, let's talk for a sec here. Give me some feedback. What are the kinds of things in verses 19 through 25 that are the kinds of reasons why we respond to God with those let us kinds of passages that he talks about. Shout them out. What does the text specifically say? You've got to use language from verses 19 through 25. What does it say? A hope for heaven. Okay, absolutely. What else? confidence to enter the most high place. We have confidence to go into the holiest of holies, which no one could do except the high priest, but we get to go there because of what Jesus has done. We have a great priest because we have that great priest who makes the sacrifices for us. We have life. Somebody else. A new way of life that comes to us through who Jesus is. Absolutely. God's faithful promises. Isn't that beautiful? That is a great reason for us to trust in him. He, he has made himself, proved himself faithful to us. Anything else? Oh, yeah. Cleansed from a guilty conscience. We talked about that for the last two weeks, actually, about how there's nothing that really cleanses the conscience except the blood of Jesus. Everything else falls short. Okay, anything else? We have hope for sure. 
Okay, let, let me go ahead and list the things. I'm going to put these down, the things that I saw in here as being reasons why we really need to respond to God. Okay, but here's the tricky part. I don't want you to just read these on the screen, okay? Like if I, if I was giving you great news, and if I was going to go through 50 things that were just fantastic news, you know, I, you know, I said, Judy, I'm going to give you a million bucks. Judy might stand up and go, fantastic, this is incredible, thank you. Okay, and then I turn and I said, Karina, I'm going to heal your mother of cancer. Okay, of course, it's not going to be me. It's the Lord who did that. But if that, if that was the case, she, might, she and Carol might just both stand up with joy and say, this is fantastic. Thank you very much. Okay, well, I want that kind of response. Now, I'm a little afraid that I'm going to put the first one up here and everybody's going to kind of go, yay, or something. Okay, but we got to have more than that, ladies and gentlemen. So let's all stand up. Okay. God has done something beautiful for us in Jesus Christ. He's given us life for him. You remember how Megan did this? Megan went, yeah, it's all over. Oh, it was so boring. Well, this isn't boring. But I want to see some yeahs out there in light of what it is that God has done. If there's anything that should get us a little bit excited, it's about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And so here's the first one. He has given us confidence. Confident people can say, yeah! Oh, you're good. Very good. I'll tone my voice down a little. <laughs> it's magnified, okay? We can enter the most holy place where our sins are forgiven. Yeah! There you go. Jesus' blood has been shed for us. Yeah! We have a new and living way open for us into the most holy place. Yeah! We have a great high priest over the house of God. Yeah! Our hearts are sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Yeah. Our bodies are washed with pure water through baptism. Yeah. And he who promised is faithful. Yeah. Amen. I agree. Have a seat. Thank you for tolerating my little exercise. Some of you are thinking, no, I didn't tolerate that at all. Well, this is great news. God has blessed us in Jesus with what he has, life in him. And he wants us to respond. He wants us to respond with faithfulness, a committed life to Christ in light of what it is that Jesus has done. You know, um, it is tempting in our world at different times to give up on our faith. And, and if you think to yourself, well, no, I, you know, that's not tempting to me at all. It may not be tempting to you, but there are a lot of people for whom it is tempting. There are people who don't see in their lives all these things. And for them, it can be tempting. There are people who, despite the things that they see, still find in their own lives a great deal of sinfulness. And I, it's discouraging. They've been Christians for a long time. They haven't made the progress that they want to make. And so there are sometimes, I think people, they, they want to give up life in Christ just because they see in their own lives a sinfulness that they don't want to be there. Sometimes it's just an intellectual thing. People get challenged. A university student gets challenged. We get challenged by life. Some tragedy comes into our lives. And people are tempted at those moments to give up faith in Christ. And so it's very appropriate for us to say this morning, we cannot be people who give up our lives and our faith in Jesus. 
God wants us to be faithful to Him until the very end. There's no room for us to lapse here or to waver. But He wants us to be confident and faithful to Him all the days of our lives. And by the way, this happens best in community. In fact, that's what verse 25 is all about. You know that verse that we quote oftentimes about people need to be in church? Don't forsake the assembling of the saints. That's what verse 25 says. And I get that. I could go on a rant. I could get all crazy about we need to be here and don't miss church. But the point is not don't miss church. The point is, are you being an encouragement to others? And are you receiving from others encouragement? We're not looking to put anybody's name on a list here and tick it off and say, well, they were here. They met their obligation. They're in a life group. We can tick that off. They've met their obligation. There's no obligation here. What there is is opportunity. Opportunity for us to bless the lives of other people and to build them up in the Lord the way that Christ wants to build us up. And it's that building up that makes us able to stand strong in Him with the kind of faith that we need to have. Well, that was kind of part one. We need to stand strong in Him. Thanks for the audience participation. Now I have something else I want you to do. In the pew backs in front of you, you probably can find a little piece of paper somewhere. Or maybe on the back of your order of assembly, something like that. Pull out a, a piece of paper and a pen. And before I read verse 26, I want you to do this. I want you to put down on that piece of paper, or, I mean, you could do this in your head if you want, if you think you can remember something for five seconds. I want you to put down the percentage of your sins that are accidental. Put down the percentage of your sins that you couldn't avoid because they're accidental. Maybe you didn't know, found out afterwards this was wrong. What percentage of your sins would you call accidental? Now, I was a little surprised in the first service when I asked people to do that. I said, after I said that, I said, uh, so I can't imagine anybody here having anything, you know, a number even close to something like 50%. And there were a couple of hands that said, yeah, you know, 50% of my sins are accidental. I, I don't know. I, that's interesting to me. I'd have to think that through. Because when I think about my sins, they're not accidental. Like I don't, the next day, think to myself, oh, I accidentally sinned yesterday. I would say that almost always, when I sin, I know exactly what I'm doing. And I'm guessing it's the same way with you. I don't think that it's that often that we go in to do something sinful and, and then only afterwards are surprised that it was actually sinful. Most of the time, I think we're aware. Well, that's interesting. Interesting in light of what we just said about the blessedness, the wonderful forgiveness that we receive in Christ 
And then verse 26. Look at verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him? Who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know whom who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Wow. I thought we were doing this. Yeah. How many of you are ready to do that now? That you've heard about falling into the hands of the living God. Kind of scary. In fact, I would say, not just scary, but if we take this, at least in one way, I would say pretty much contradictory. (laughs) This is not good news. This is bad news. I sin. It says deliberately. And when I, if I was to fill out this piece of paper, I think I would have been tempted to put zero on mine. I'm not sure there's hardly any sin that I commit, that I'm not somehow willfully or deliberately sinning, very few of them would be accidents. So what is up with this? Can I I not be forgiven? And let me just say that I'm excited this morning to be able to tell you that there is a wonderful, good news kind of answer to the dilemma that we just set up. Because when you look at this in the original language, I'm absolutely convinced That the problem here is not that God, every time we have a sin that's not accidental, is ready to throw us into the fires of hell. Notice the language here. Deliberately keep on sinning. And if I ask the question, what is the context of this sin that he's talking about? Well, we've already mentioned it this morning. What is the context for sin in the book of Hebrews? More than anything, it has to do with not holding on to the faith that you have in Jesus. And in fact, the whole context of Hebrews chapter 10 is exactly the same. The question is, are you going to continue to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? In fact, I would define the keep on sinning, the deliberately keep on sinning, I would define that in verse 26 of Hebrews 10 as no longer... Acknowledging Jesus as your Lord and Savior and trusting in Him for your salvation. I think that's exactly what verse 26 is talking about. The sin that these to whom the letter is written, the sin that they were tempted to continue doing was to no longer accept Jesus as their Savior. They're tempted to go back to Judaism. And by no longer trusting in Christ, they keep on sinning with a lack of faithfulness to him. That's the problem of verse 26. And so there is a blessing here. The blessing is 
that we have the chance, the opportunity to remain faithful to him. And in remaining faithful to Jesus, we avoid doing what verse 26 and 27 is talking about. We don't continue to deliberately sin. In fact, I would say, I said this in the first service, you cannot out-sin God and his grace. Now, sometimes when we hear that, we think that we're saying, well, you can't lose your salvation. That's not what I said. We can very easily lose our salvation, I'm convinced, when a person no longer continues in faith to acknowledge Jesus as Lord and giving their lives to him. At that point, when you're giving yourself to Jesus Christ and you sin, you know what happens to your sins? I mentioned it last week or the week before, last week, I think. He can't remember. God self induced amnesia he can't remember your sins as long as you continue to trust him as your lord and savior you cannot out sin the grace of god when you're trusting in him now if you don't trust in him as your faith if your faith doesn't rest in jesus then i would say you're in the same position that those who are receiving this letter are in tempted to let go of your faith and give that up And at that point, I do think salvation comes in jeopardy, but not for those who continue to serve Jesus and give themselves to him. And so we're supposed to draw near to God with confidence and the full assurance of faith. We're supposed to hold unswervingly to our hope. We're supposed to be encouraging one another. We're supposed to cling to the community of faith of which we're part. God expects he wants these things from us. Sometimes I don't do them. I sometimes am not what God wants me to be. But do I want to be sinful? No, I don't. Do I want to go against God's will for my life? Do I wake up every morning and say, I want to go against God's will? No, I don't. I do care about the sacrifice of Christ. I don't willingly turn my back on Christ, on the Son of God and His sacrifice even though sometimes I do sin. I don't want to live a life away from Jesus. I do accept Jesus Christ as my Savior and as Messiah. I do care about what Jesus has done for me. And that attitude, I think, makes all the difference in the world. If you say, I don't care, I don't believe, I don't want to be faithful, and you continue in that attitude, I'm convinced that there's no sacrifice for sin remaining. But if you are faithful to him and continue to trust in him, I'm convinced that there is a sacrifice for sins that remains, and that when you sin, because you can't out-sin God, your sins are as white as snow. You're washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. Now that, ladies and gentlemen, is great news. It's like, yeah! God has blessed me with forgiveness in Him. And I cannot out-sin Him and His grace because of the way in which He loves me. That is good, good, good news for those of us who sin. And I am one. If I was to ask you this morning, are you absolutely confident about your salvation in him? There are some of you, I'm afraid, who might say, 
not 100%. And that's not what he wants. He knows that the joy and the happiness and the peace that you have in Jesus can't be completely there if you're afraid that maybe you're not in. And he wants us to be assured that we are because we've trusted in him. And so, if we were to frame the question a little bit differently and say, if we could choose only one encouraging word to give to somebody, let's say we've got to choose one or the other, okay? You can't choose both. If you're going to choose only one of these, which one are you choosing this morning? Are you going to say, don't sin or be faithful? And the answer is, be faithful. Do we want people to sin? Of course not. Do we want people to live the sanctified life in Jesus that God calls them to? Of course. But ultimately, the life that we have in Him is dependent upon the faithfulness that we have toward Christ until the very end. Robin and I... uh, have some friends, the Welches, who live in Long Beach, California. And in about 1983 or so, Ed Welsh and his wife Allison were living next door to a couple of our members, uh, Dennis and Karen Baker. And I've actually told Ed's story before. Ed is a guy who grew up within the California Youth Authority. From the time he was 12, he was in youth prison. Um, a huge guy, he, like Ed could have played linebacker for the Chicago Bears. I mean, a, a big guy with you know, massive arms, covered in tattoos. If, if you were to meet uh, Ed on the sidewalk at night, you know, just looking at him would scare you to death. Well, just before he met Dennis and Karen, Ed, uh, who'd had this very troubled life, he was currently out of prison, but he'd made the decision to join the Hells Angels. And the way that he was going to be initiated into the Hells Angels was that he had to commit some kind of crime. And so he had planned an armed robbery of a convenience store. He was going to rob this convenience store with a gun. And then he met Dennis and Karen. And for whatever reason, he went to church with them. And he turned his whole life around. Gave himself to Jesus and became a completely different person. I can remember when I was a youth minister in Long Beach that Ed and I would uh, go in the evenings to uh, a youth prison not far from where we lived, and we, you know we would do work among the kids there. And, and Ed turned that into a vocation. And so for the last couple of decades, he's been employed by the County of Los Angeles, working in the youth court system as a chaplain. It's a great story of how his life turned around. Well, over Christmas time, we started getting Facebook messages from Ed and Allison. Uh, that they were putting out, that Ed, uh, over the last year or so, he had uh, contracted cancer. And we knew that was the case, uh, you know, but really prayed and wanted the Lord to work in his life. And Carol, unlike you, you, you know, you've been so blessed, and it's absolutely wonderful, but it, you are, I agree. In Ed's case, uh, it hasn't been that way in terms of his cancer. And so there were actually Facebook pictures of Ed sitting on the hospital table uh, in a hospital gown with his wife and the doctor giving him the news uh, that he was not going to make it. And so there were, fo- there were photos of him covering his eyes and crying as he received the news uh, that his cancer was, was not going to be taken care of. And then Allison started posting on Facebook messages about faith and talking about how this family who had gone through so much in their lives and had come out of so much and had been so changed by Jesus, how they were still faithful. 
And it looks as though, you know, Ed's not going to make it. I don't know, how, like last, if I remember right, they're talking about four months from now that he'll leave this life and be with the Lord. God wants Ed to be faithful to the very end. God wants all of us to be faithful to the very end. He wanted the Hebrew people to whom he's writing to be faithful to the end. And the result of all of that is also in our text today. I want you to look, I want to read these these verses from verse 32 on. Verse 32. Remember those early days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Do you remember those days when you first received the truth? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison. That's exactly what Ed did. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So, and you can hear him begging these people. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. We can't compromise on this faith thing. And then look at verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. That's who we need to be, church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you as our Lord and Savior. We have faith in you. We trust you. We put ourselves completely in your hands. Help us to do it all the days of our lives. Through Christ that we pray. Amen.